Have you ever longed to don the armor of a samurai and charge headlong into glorious battle? Well, I can't help you with that. However, I can offer you a themed t-shirt that will probably serve as a conversation starter with every third person or so. Check out the merch store at ahistoryofjapan.threadless.com for exclusive shirts, hoodies, coffee mugs, phone cases, and full-length battle-ready katanas. Just kidding about that last one. Again, I can't help you there. Visit ahistoryofjapan.threadless.com today. Hello, and welcome to A History of Japan. Season 6, Episode 14, The Party is Over. Retired Emperor Shirakawa's Insei government may have been nothing more than a curious blip on the radar of Japanese history had it not been for the Daijo Tenno's considerable longevity. When he died, his grandson, the retired Emperor Toba, had all the precedent he would ever need to create his own cloistered government, which would undermine the sitting Emperor Sutoku and his dwindling Daijo Daikon. Behind the creation of cloister rule, there were a few different factors at play. The Daijo Daikon had long been dominated in its uppermost minister offices by the elite members of the Fujiwara clan, and even as the power of the court wilted in the shadow of cloister rule, they were not inclined to share any of these offices, even those left vacant with potential rivals. Some of the owners of the Shoen estates were wealthy commoners who had grown ambitious during the decades in which they were essentially frozen out of the central government. There were also the noble samurai clans, eager to prove they were the equals of the soft nobility who governed them, as well as the various monasteries around Heian-kyo, which also advocated for their own special privileges from the government and occasionally fought amongst one another. This new system of retired emperors, untouchable both by their regal pedigree and their status as Buddhist monks, meant fresh opportunities for the new men of the capital. This is one of the points in Japanese history where it is common for misunderstandings to take hold. Those who flocked to serve at the pleasure of the retired emperor were not a hardy, oppressed working class, nor were they high-minded idealists with a passion for imperial sovereignty. Many of them were wealthy enough that they required no salary from the retired emperor and even used the incomes they earned as absentee landlords to purchase extravagant gifts for the Daijo Tenno to curry his favor. The Daijo Daikon was certainly an elite club with high social rank required for membership, but it did generally appreciate scholarship, learning, culture, and philosophy. Some among the new men who served the retired Tenno may have had some rudimentary learning, but they were more often shockingly ignorant. In his first volume on Japanese history, George Sansom relays the story of Asukiye, one of Shirakawa In's followers, who asked the retired emperor why he had not been appointed as his prime minister. The cloistered emperor told him frankly that the position of prime minister was reserved for courtiers who were able to write. While this story illustrates the low level of education among the Insei Kuge, it also shows that rudimentary learning, at least, still counted for something, even with the Daijo Tenno. 
In addition to the sudden influx of unlearned and grossly unqualified people into critical areas of governance, the Insei system also created a fundamental shift in the Japanese conception of the imperial family. In former times, the mother of an imperial child was usually the more important parent, and the Fujiwara built a strong dictatorship by ensuring that the head of their clan became the emperor's father-in-law or grandparent. Emperor Shirakawa, however, had taken to bringing his grandchildren into his household and serving as the father figure to them. Thus, the identity of the emperor's father became much more important than that of his mother. This was not a one-way power exchange, however, as the cloistered emperor's power depended on his son or grandson serving as the sitting emperor. Again, we see the centrality of family to the claims of those serving in certain capacities. The claim of the Fujiwara dictators rested upon the emperor being their son-in-law or grandson. The claim of the cloistered emperors rested upon their son or grandson sitting on the throne. A cloistered emperor could not claim to govern on behalf of a sovereign who was not their own child or direct descendant. Retired Emperor Toba found plenty of willing attendance among the late Shirakawa In's courtiers when the old man finally died at 76 years old in 1129. It really is remarkable to chart the loss of power of both the Fujiwara clan and the Daijo Daikon, starting with Emperor Gosanjo's ascension in 1086. Here we are in 1129, just 61 years later, and the official imperial government has been almost reduced to purely ornamental status, along with the Fujiwara. They were still very wealthy landowners, even if they became essentially glorified babysitters in the 1100s. Sitting Emperor Sutoku, meanwhile, was only 10 years old when his father, retired Emperor Toba, took hold of the reins of government. Many sitting emperors would spend their reigns during the age of Insei, entertaining and sponsoring cultural projects like poetry anthologies. The retired emperor, in addition to dictating when the sitting emperor would retire, also selected the crown prince. The dictatorship of the Fujiwara regents had now been fully replaced by the dictatorship of the cloistered emperor. This led inevitably to a certain level of frustration among sitting emperors. Emperor Toba, while he occupied the chrysanthemum throne, frequently chafed at his grandfather's constant undermining and overbearing micromanagement. He was made to abdicate when he had just turned 20, and considering his successor was his three-year-old son, I don't think it's unfair to say that Shirakawa wanted to ensure that the sitting Tenno was unable to possibly mount a challenge to his Insei government. Retired Emperor Toba, regardless of any frustration he experienced when he was the sitting emperor, largely followed his late grandfather's pattern of Tenno selection. Emperor Sotoku was allowed to sit on the throne until he was 22, at which point he was ordered to abdicate in favor of Crown Prince Narihito, who was his own younger brother. Remembered as Emperor Konoe, he was elevated to the office of Tenno when he was two years old. You may be wondering what there was for the retired Emperor Sotoku to do with his infant brother on the throne and his father running the nation, and the answer is, uh, not much. 
He continued hosting parties and celebrations, sponsoring cultural works, and counting down the days to when his father would die so that he could finally be allowed to govern the nation in his stead. He would have to keep counting for a long time. The Insei court was well aware of Emperor Sotoku's impatience to rule, and retired Emperor Toba did not like the idea of Daijoten no Sotoku having the kind of unfettered control of the imperial court which he enjoyed. No doubt a certain amount of family politics was involved in this, and it seems that Toba-in was never very close with this particular son. In 1142, when Emperor Stoku abdicated, he began lobbying the cloistered emperor to name his own son as a successor to the infant emperor Konoe. The boy's name was Prince Shigehito, and by most accounts he grew up to become a well-liked young man throughout the imperial palace. Born in 1140, he celebrated his coming of age in 1150, and retired Emperor Sutoku looked forward to the day when his son would become the next Tenno. I can almost hear him saying to himself, Any day now, my father will order Konoe Tenno to step down, and Shigehito will take the throne. In 1155, it looked like young Prince Shigehito might get his chance. Emperor Konoe, at the age of 17 years old, died suddenly and without children of his own. No doubt retired Emperor Sotoku was overjoyed at the thought that his own son would soon become the emperor. Given a few more years, Daijoten no Sotoku himself might even gain a promotion when his father finally left the world. Everything seemed to be falling into place. As you can probably guess, the lame duck emperor was not about to ascend to the height of power, but was about to be made even more powerless than he was presently. The late sitting emperor's death came as a terrible shock due to his young age and relative appearance of health. Some of cloistered Emperor Toba's advisors wondered aloud whether there was not surely another force at work in such a dark event. Toba-in himself seems to have become convinced that the retired Emperor Sotoku must have placed a fell curse upon Emperor Konoe, which caused him to die young so that Prince Shigehito would get an early elevation. This could not stand. Here, retired Emperor Toba seems to have broken with his father's previous pattern of elevation. Prince Shigehito was passed over in favor of another of Toba-in's sons, one Prince Masahito. This particular son of Toba was 28 years old and clearly one of his father's favorites. From retired Emperor Toba's perspective, retired Emperor Sotoku was far too ambitious to be allowed the power of a cloistered government, but by keeping his son out of the succession, they ensured that he would have no power in the future. He could not build his own insei without having a son on the throne. 1155 was a year of unmitigated disaster for the retired Emperor Sotoku, but all was not quite as bleak as it may have seemed. The Fujiwara clan, which had never operated wholly as a monolith, suffered a split among their most influential family members. Some felt that cloistered Emperor Toba had done the right thing, keeping Sotoku out of the insei, but others had grown frustrated with Toba-in and sought to restore Fujiwara hegemony to national politics one way or another. 
supporting retired Emperor Toba and the new sitting sovereign, who is remembered as Emperor Go Shirakawa, was Fujiwara Taramichi, who had recently served as Emperor Konoe's Sesho regent and was considered the leader of the Fujiwara clan. Supporting retired Emperor Sutoku and his son Prince Shigehito was Fujiwara Yorinaga, the brother of Taramichi. Yorinaga is a complex, fascinating figure in Japanese history. He was a dedicated Confucian scholar, and his ambition helped him obtain the office of Naidaijin, Minister of the Center, in 1137 when he was only 17. At age 30, in 1150, he was appointed as Sadaijin, Minister of the Left, which you may recall was ranked just below Chancellor Daijo Daijin. That same year, he arranged for one of his daughters to be married to the young Emperor Konoe, who was 11 at the time. Yorinaga was very open in his ambition to restore the Great Council of State to its former glory and re-establish Fujiwara political supremacy as well. His tenure as Sadaijin was marked by a restoration of various protocols which were no longer in use, generally related to discipline among the ministers and their subordinates. However, being a somewhat rigid disciplinarian during a time when official responsibilities at the Daijo Daikon had been waning for nearly a hundred years meant that Yorinaga was not especially popular. He was often brusque with those he considered subordinates, and his tendency to pursue reform was often alienating. His foes at court nicknamed him the Akusafu, which means the wicked minister of the left, because of his tendency to enforce rigid discipline and pursue reforms which were necessary but quite unpopular among the nobility. His clash with his brother Tadamichi was probably part of a larger dispute which had, over time, transformed into a long-standing quarrel. Regardless of the merits of either imperial candidate, however, the decision was largely in the hands of retired Emperor Toba, and he chose his son, Prince Masahito, over his grandson, Prince Shigehito, from Sutoku Tenno. Prince Masahito was elevated to the office of sitting Tenno and is remembered as Emperor Go Shirakawa. Yorinaga was obviously dissatisfied that his brother had triumphed once again, but appears to have decided that it was best to reconcile with the new Tenno and his brother Tadamichi. The new emperor did not plan to sit upon the throne for long. His 15-year-old son, Crown Prince Morihito, was intended to succeed him in relatively short order. Fujiwara Yorinaga offered his services to the young future sovereign as a tutor, a role which even his political enemies admitted he would have been well-suited for. Yorinaga was extremely well-read on nearly every subject, from logic to history to Chinese calligraphy, and of course, imperial protocol. Imagine his surprise when his olive branch was met only with a terse refusal. For the moment, all he could do was stew in his anger over the insult. But the retired Emperor Toba was still in charge, and Yorinaga and Sutoku had been steamrolled. It was as simple as that. In 1155, Emperor Go Shirakawa took the throne and the cloister government was still in control. Had this uneasy state of affairs lasted a few more years, hotheads may have had a chance to cool, and all of Japanese history might have turned out very differently. However, in the summer of 1156, just eight months after setting Go Shirakawa Tenno on the throne, retired Emperor Toba died. 
What happened next could be described in many ways, but I don't think anyone could rightfully call it a surprise. Yorinaga and Sutoku saw an opportunity in the upheaval born from the timing of Toba-in's demise, and they were going to try and obtain redress for the insults and slander laid against them by the supporters of the current emperor. Next time, we'll see how the chips fall for Yorinaga and his allies, and see the emergence of the Taira and Minamoto warrior clans as major players in the political arena. Until then, thank you for listening. If you would like access to exclusive bonus episodes, as well as ad-free versions of the regular episodes, please consider supporting this podcast at patreon.com slash ahistoryofjapan. 